Greetings and welcome to the Upper Pen Podcast. My name is Dakota Van Linden, and today I'm speaking with S.A. Barnes, or Stacy Cade, about her book, Dead Silence. Barnes starts the book off in The Tower, where Claire, our protagonist, is being interviewed by a couple of shady men about a disaster out at the edge of space, one that she was the sole survivor of. Dead Silence is a wonderful example of sci-fi horror and unreliable narrators. It's difficult to discern reality from fiction in this book because Claire doesn't know herself. Thank you, Stacy, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love that description of the book. That's fantastic. I really, really loved it. And it's such a good sci-fi horror. So that is awesome. That was I I love sci-fi horror. So that is I that is a delight for me to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get started with Dead Silence? From an idea standpoint, it was really, I always have kind of a very basic idea in mind of something that like, oh, that's cool. And in this case, it was just sort of this vague idea of wouldn't it be cool to be able to like explore the wreckage of like the Titanic or, you know, the artifacts and that sort of thing. And, you know, so I sort of had this like vague mental notion of people wandering through, you know, an abandoned cruise ship and what would that be like? And, you know, so that part sort of like, sprung out from there sprung is that a word you know what I mean <laughs> um and then in terms of the actual like practical writing of it I had written the first I want to say like 80 or 100 pages and I didn't took me a while to get going I had to redo the beginning like eight maybe more than that times um there was even like a point of view um from oh gosh I'm read uh, at the beginning, because I was like, oh, he could be a point of view character. Like, I really did not have, it took a lot of trial and error figuring things out to what it, what I wanted it to be. Um, but I finally got about 80 pages, and I was, you know, still writing YA and um, trying to sell another proposal in YA, and I was sending this to my agent at the time, and I'm like, okay, take a look at this. It's, you know, I know it's really left field for me, because it really is left field for me, um, but can you please look at it and, you know, tell me what you think? And and she got back to me the first thing because I thought I was writing a sci-fi thriller and the first thing she said to me when she got back to me was you need to write the rest and this is not a thriller this is horror and I was like oh okay well that makes sense given what I love to read but I <laughs> was not thinking that way when I was writing it. So that um, the idea of having to rewrite it actually was something that I kept thinking about when I was reading it because it's back and forth from Claire's mm -hmm. perspective. So I was wondering how that came about, if it started off that way, or if you were just straight timeline or. So I knew <laughs> I was my sister who works in publishing also. Um, and, you know, I, I always run things by her and <laughs> she's always like, you just have to make things difficult for yourself. Don't you? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> so I have, I've always like chosen things that have, you know, it's like, oh, well, let's do it this way. And it's like, that's possibly the harder way to do it. I wrote dual first person point of view um, in YA novels for years, which is like really tricky with the timeline and balancing everything. Um, and in this one, I knew from the beginning that I wanted to be telling this. I, I wanted her telling the story. I wanted those framing chapters of this has already happened. And I'm going to tell you you know, what happened to the best of my ability. And then I knew at some point we were, those two timelines had to join up. Um, in fact, when I sent it out to, for some feedback from some other writer friends, 
someone said, you know, this reads like a sequel. Why don't you just write the book? Why don't you just write, you know, book one? And I was like, because what I wanted was I wanted, I think it's so much harder after you failed, after you have failed big time at something and facing that again. And so that to me was what Claire was dealing with. It was not the sparkly, I'm, you know, not that she's ever sparkly because she's not, let's face it. <laughs> you know, she's, she's not a sparkly personality. Um, I love her still the same, but she's, yeah. Um, wanted that, I wanted her to be facing that possibility of, of failure again after having experienced such a brutal loss. And so I wanted to start there. So it wasn't beginning what I would do. I wrote the stuff that, you know, in the tower and then I knew how I wanted, um, you know, the beginning of the story story to go. But a lot of times I was moving things around like, oh, let's put this chapter like when it comes back to um, Max and Reed in the tower, the two men who are interrogating her. Sometimes I would move that around like, oh, maybe that should be later or that should be earlier, depending on like where it fit best in the sequence of things. Um, but I sort of always knew that I wanted now I knew they had to join up. I had no idea how I was going to do that. Again, making things difficult for myself because, so yeah, so that's sort of, I mean, so there was a lot of tweaking, um, but in terms of the concepts being two timelines, that was always there from the beginning. It was one of the things that I was the most nervous about from the beginning, because I was like, oh, well, why is she starting here? That's such a strange point. And then by the time I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, that's smart. <laughs> So I think you did it really well with all the tweaking and editing and figuring out where things kind of work best. So good job. Thank you very much. Yeah, I know it I know it was a risk and believe me, I was worried about it because it's sort of like, well, I already know what happened. Why do I need to read this book? You know, and but I, I just felt like it was, I don't know. I think at the time when I was writing this, I was dealing with some career struggles and feeling like you know, am I ever going to like, you know, am I going to be able to do this again? Like what's going to happen? And so to me, that idea of like having to face your worst fear or your worst failure just had a lot of emotional resonance. So I was hoping that that would carry through. <laughs> it did. And it, it actually invoked images of Ripley at the beginning of Aliens for me, where she's just completely crushed and she does not want to do anything. Um, so that feeling of just utter devastation was there. <laughs> That was, and that was a very deliberate choice, the Ripley and Aliens. Like, do you remember the scene? That's one of my favorite movies. Do you remember the scene where she's, they're in there with, she's in there with the corporation and Paul Reiser, evil Paul Reiser. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, but tell us what happened. She's like, I did. Well, that's not possible because of blah, 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 whatever. And, and I'm just like, so that was definitely my homage to that scene because I, even thinking about that makes like fury just bubble up in my chest. So I, you know, well, we, we're going to go do this. No, you shouldn't do it. Are you stupid? Don't do this. And I just felt like, so that was, that was really definitely something I, I kind of looked at and I want to incorporate that because that's totally what would happen. <laughs> I think any woman reading it will understand immediately the sensation of the, well, that's just impossible. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Never mind that it's my lived experience. Never mind that I was there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really resonated well. And it did so good to position the the point where the two timelines meet back up. Because I had no idea what was going to happen. 
<laughs> me either in the first draft. I was like, well, okay, I can get us all the way to this point, And then I got to figure out how am I going to do this? <laughs> um, so aside from the way it's structured with the back and forth, how else would, were you trying to build tension in the story to kind of build this horror aspect? Or I guess tension when you were <laughs> thinking it was a thriller. <laughs> well, right. I mean, so to me, there's a couple things. I mean, obviously, like the locale is incredibly important and not just because I was aiming for sci-fi horror. I mean, you could have put that on a planet, but the fact that you're on a ship and you're on a ship means you can't run away. Like if a serial killer is chasing you around a haunted house, you at least have the possibility of breaking out through a window or something. I mean, you, you can't do that. There's nowhere to go in space. There's just nowhere to go. And so I think just that adds to the tension of it and the, and, you know, the claustrophobia aspect of it, because you literally know there's no escape. At certain points in the book, there's really no escape. Um, the other standpoint from the actual horror perspective, I know that some people will see the horror aspects in, you know, the hallucinations and the visions or the ghosts or whatever you want to call them. And that, that certainly is part of it. But to me, the biggest scariest thing is that Claire doesn't know what's real. And I think that that's terrifying. I think when you can't trust your own perception of reality, when you can't trust your own brain, how, how do you, I mean, <laughs> you can turn on the lights and hopefully banish the ghost, but what do you do when your brain is telling you that something is there and it isn't or vice versa? It's that to me is the scariest part. So I really wanted to emphasize that. You did really great with it throughout the beginning of the story where she's seeing the people um, killed over and over again and in these horrible positions. It just builds this kind of awfulness that's otherworldly at the same time because it's like not real but real to her. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, exactly. Because it's, it's in that case, it's, it's trauma because, you know, it, it could be trauma from her, you know, her guilt for various reasons i mean you know it could you know you don't know what it is she doesn't know what it is how horrible would that be i mean that would just be so horrible and then when you finally get to the ship there's this whole other aspect of unknown throughout the whole ship and so it just yeah. compounds that idea of for claire because it's from her point of view of not knowing and that's that's mind-boggling to me <laughs> <laughs> That was really, that was really fun. Um, I mean, that was the whole thing about this is it, it, it definitely, you know, I was writing to my fears for sure, but it was also really fun. So it was kind of like this whole, you know, you can't, in Claire's situation, she's also trying to hold on to, uh, hold on to her position of authority. So she can't exactly be like, hey, do you guys see that? Am I hallucinating? Like what, you know, she's really got it kind of a, in a tough spot. So I think that was kind of the fun part, which was the, how far is she going to let this go? Like what, what is going to push her to the brink before she finally has to say, I don't think that I should be in charge anymore because this is going on with me. Um, and that was a lot of fun to play with. It's really great because at the point that she does decide to say something, they're like, oh no, everything's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, well, well, because I also feel like that's one of those things that, you know, she is in some ways more comfortable with it because in various ways, this has been happening to her her whole life. Um, the, this is new to the rest of them, but I don't know anyone who's just, especially in a high 
stakes, high tension situation. Who's going to be like, Hey guys, suddenly I'm seeing things that I don't think are there. So just FYI, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think anybody is going to speak up in that situation. Um, so, but with her, I think, you know, and actually in effect, it actually helped her because she had been in that situation before. <laughs> yeah. And it's really great that you can see that, that conversation with her and her mind. Sometimes she's like, oh, well, I should tell them because it would be safer and the responsible thing, but also. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So you mentioned earlier that you wrote YA books. Um, mm -hmm. So I know you have a couple of series and then you also have a couple of romantic books. Yep. So did writing any of those influence how you wrote this one or was it just completely separate? I think, um, I mean, I think my, my general process, which as you probably guessed, is jump in and figure out what the hell I'm doing later. Um, is pretty much unchanged. Uh, I think that interesting to me because I got to explore some issues that uh, were a little bit darker and a little bit heavier than what I had covered previously because I really want, and this is partially my own self-consciousness with it too, I really wanted to make sure that it was clear that these these characters were adults, that they had adult concerns, that they had you know adult burdens, um, so in a way that was just an interesting, a different part of my life to draw on versus looking back at high school, this time I'm looking at, you know, me now or me five years ago or me five years in the future. And that was a really interesting experience to be able to, to look at it that way. I think it worked really well having them be adults here. It's just horror always seems to be better when it's not teenagers that you're like, oh, that's just stupid. <laughs> well, you know, so I work with kids and I, I, you know, I always like to tease them when they do something spectacularly stupid as they occasionally do. And I'm like, it's okay. You don't have that, you know, frontal cortex isn't kicking in just yet. You're going to look back at this and go, I did what? But, you know, so I mean, there's a part of it, in a way, teenagers are the perfect, you know, uh, main characters for horror because they are the ones that'll go into a haunted house because somebody dares them to. Um, but I think in a way, making it a rational, this is better for all of us if we go on board this ship, this is going to make all of us rich, this is going to solve a lot of problems. That to me was kind of a fun adult way to do it because most of us in the audience would be like, no. But when you put the like, you know, hey, this will take care of all your problems. You can you can provide for the people you love. You know, it, it it's harder to say no to that. You know, I would have been just tempted by the aspect of seeing a ship that hadn't been seen in thirty years or however long, right? Yes, fascinating, right? That me too. That's why I, there's there's definitely more than a little bit of my titanic nerdness in Nisus because that is 100% me like ooh you know the, the teacups are still sitting in the in the cabinet on the bottom of the ocean floor and you know stuff like that I mean you know and they had this on there and they had a gym and a swimming pool and whatever else <laughs> I think you characterized uh Claire really well by using the golden faucets as something that she fixates on <laughs> She definitely does. And what's funny about that is like, it didn't even really dawn on me that she, that she was fixated on it. I mean, like it was just one of those things like, that's the thing. Well, I think too, when you're younger, which she was younger when this ship went out and like, that's something that would have caught her attention. Again, somebody growing up, like basically in a group home, 
um, you know, struggling for money. And this is just, this is like this height of luxury. Sometimes you think like, I don't know, there was a thing on, I don't know, somewhere online where it was like, what did you think as a kid was like the height of luxury? And some people were like cable TV or having a pool or you know, some people, a lot of people were having a fridge that had the ice maker in the door. And I was just like, that's a, that's a kid thing to like think gold faucets. Yeah. But that's, I honestly didn't realize it. And then it was, it was funny. I was having another conversation and um, someone asked me like, oh, would you, would you go into space? You know, to, I'm like, no, not until it's like the enterprise and they have bathrooms because I'm not doing what you have to do to be in space today. I'm no. And then someone said, oh, that makes sense. You spend a lot of time focusing on the bathrooms in dead silence. And I was like, yeah, I guess it is. It's okay. Almost every book, horror, fantasy, sci-fi, at some point, if it's from a woman's perspective, I'm like, how is she handling her menstrual period? If you're going on long enough, what's the deal? <laughs> I just, it, it, like, I fixate on it and I'm like, why, what is happening? You never stop. You're never in cramps. Like, I hate you a little. <laughs> <laughs> I always think, especially if you're dealing with sci-fi, it's like, oh, we're, we're past all that now. You get an injection, you don't have to think about it until you want to think about it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the simplest, simplest way to just hand wave it away. Hand and wave, like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, it doesn't exist. <laughs> nah, we don't worry about it. Um, so one of the things that always fascinates me with writers is everybody has a life before writing. <laughs> Um, yes. and yours was working as a librarian, right? So I actually, I work, um, I still work as, uh, a, a, in, in the library, um, and as an instructional aide in creative writing for a high school. Um, before I was a writer, I worked as a copywriter for various fortune 500 companies. And I did that for about 12 years and then, um, started writing full time. And then now I'm working in a school as well. How do you feel that, um, like, how was the transition between being a copywriter slash working a librarian or working librarian to writing novels that actually get published? <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, I, I, I say that, but I've been writing, I think, since basically since I got out of college and was like, I got a job in marketing for a big company and thought, this is going to be great. And then I got into it. And I was like, this is not great. <laughs> so like you kind of, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And I like to tell this story when I talk to the kids about it. Um, that first corporation that I worked for had like this, um, it was meant to be like a personal development course. And it was, I think it was supposed to be like, oh, hey, set these goals. And so the guy came in and he was like, okay, I want you to think about the things you want to accomplish in the next 20 years. And I want you to write them down like 10 things. And I think it was meant to be like, oh, I want to be, you know, vice president of this division by 35 or whatever. I was 22 at the time. And um, so I started like really thinking about it and, you know, go to Europe and da, 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 all these things and write a book was one of those things. And then the guy, you know, gives us the time to write these things down and he comes back and he says, I want to know how much time and effort are you putting into accomplishing each one of those things? Because almost everything you've written down, probably everything you've written down takes time to accomplish even if it's like a trip to Europe you have to plan it you have to save up if you want to write a book you cannot sit down and write 300 pages in a night or if you can please don't tell me because it'll crush my soul um you know stuff like that so 
that. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm just, I, you know, I want to write a book. I want to try it. I just want to see what happens. So I was writing furiously and frantically the entire time I was a copywriter for myself. Um, and then it just took a while. I mean, you have to learn how to do it just because you're a good reader. You have some instincts, but that doesn't always translate to the page. So I was doing that the whole time anyway. And then finally it was like things clicked and I was writing something that was popular at the time so I could sell it. You know, it was just sort of a combination of things. Um, and I will say that the transition was amazing because of course, you know, that's a dream being able to focus on writing full time. But um, I do love the stability that having a job provides because writers get paid very irregularly and, and in big chunks or not chunks at all. <laughs> um, healthcare. Has. Yes. <laughs> so I, I found like even after writing full time for about six years, um, I also found that I was kind of going kind of weird creative loops because I was more focused on selling the next book. What can I get them to buy versus, cause I need to pay my mortgage versus what do I want to write? Um, so when I started working at the school, I just found, I think like kind of a great balance between helping, like giving, um, you know, hopefully making a difference, you know, in somebody's life on a daily basis, um, but also not agonizing over chapter seven all day and not getting anywhere. So I kind of have, it, it's, uh, it is not easy to do all of that. Um, but I do feel like it's made me a happier, better human being. It. It seems like it's a nice balance for you not having to think about what's going to sell versus yeah. what I'd rather write. Um, I know that's so in my MFA, they hardly ever talked about what's going to sell. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things that preoccupies your brain after you start wanting to write professionally. It's difficult. Um, well, and it's, it's one of those things too, then, you know, I mean, the thing you're told, don't chase the market, don't chase the market. Cause, and it is what's on the shelf now was purchased two or more years ago. And I get it, but you're also looking at, I need to invest a year, two years of my time into this. I want to be a published author. I'm going to just, you know, go off and guess and hope that this is something somebody's going to buy. Like how many times am I supposed to, how many times am I supposed to do that? Um, excuse me. And especially if you've already got a track record and you're trying, like at the time I was trying to build into YA, I was trying to build more of that. I mean, but the, the interesting thing is, is probably if I were still in that mode, if I were still full time, I don't know that I would have written dead silence. And so I'm really grateful um, that this opportunity that everything laid out came out the way that it did, but it is a really weird intersection of art and business that I have not yet mastered. I don't think most people have, there's that wonderful, um, story about uh, George Saunders when he was writing as a uh, copywriter and he wrote the great American novel and his wife read it and cried because it was so bad <laughs> uh, because he he thought that's what you were supposed to write and then she found all these little like limericks that he wrote at work that were like hilarious and that's what he got published on so it's one of those weird things it's such a strange business. It's such a strange world because, you know, um, you write something like this, for example, even dead silence, I wrote it because it hit all my like id ego, whatever, like, Ooh, I want to do this sort of thing. I, I didn't really care. I guess that's not, that's not right. That's not true. I did care. 
but it was more like I want to do it because it's fun because reading to me writing to me is like reading amplified right so I wanted to do it just because this is the book I'd want to read so cool um but you can't always do that because now say for example I wanted to go and you know write um I don't know a, a western romance or something you know what I mean like you can't there's got to be a practical element to it so that's why I said like I'm still trying to figure it out because you know everyone says oh write your write your book of your heart write your dream I'm like not always practical <laughs> so I don't know I think this book hit the perfect sweet spot of exactly what I want from like homages to alien and ghost ship and oh I love ghost ship ghost ship is like the best terrible movie ever <laughs> it's beautiful and it's not greatness <laughs> exactly I mean exactly I will tell you that I still watch the beginning of that movie like this with my hand in front of my eyes because the wires. Oh, like, yeah, no. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. Oh, no, I don't even watch the beginning. I skip until they like are on the ship, like the main cast. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, but I love it. I love that movie. I, I watched it so many times. <laughs> Aliens also. I am, I am, uh, I'm not a purist because that's really the only one that I will watch on a regular basis is the second one. I love the first one. It's my favorite. Uh, it just. I might need to watch it again because I think like, I'm so used to aliens and alien moves so slowly by comparison and it doesn't have the romance, the hint of romance, which is one of the things that I love in aliens. Yeah. Hick so. or not Hicks. I don't remember his name. It is, isn't it Hicks? I think it is. It's yeah. Hicks. Yeah, it's Corporal Hicks. Yeah. Michael yeah. Bean. It's the same guy who plays um, in in Terminator. He's he plays yeah. uh, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle's name. Kyle. Oh, is that his last name or his first name? I can't remember. It's his first name. I think it's his first name. That's a weird situation anyway with your son sending you back in time to date your mom. Mom, yeah, it is, but it's like so, oh my gosh, I traveled through time for you, Sarah. Okay, whatever you want. <laughs> so I did like that little aspect of Kane and Claire. Um, I thought that was really subtly done, but also it was just nice that it was there. So she had a little support. Yeah, I knew pushback and there has been um you know why do you have to put that in there and I mean obviously having a background as a romance writer in general I'm always looking and even my I always you know why my, my books always have kissing in them that's just kind of the way I'm structured as a person um but really to me it was character I mean it was character driven because Claire has such a hard time letting go of her fear to really connect with people um that, that was a huge leap that, that that was, you know, that was a big leap for her. And I felt like that needed to be in there because it's one thing to be like, okay, you're my crew member and I have a job or responsibility to protect you. It is an entirely different thing to be like, hi, I have smushy feelings for you and I'm going to let myself have those feelings, even though I'm terrified. So I get, I mean, I understand why people were uncomfortable with it, but it wasn't just me, you know, former romance writer, you know, wanting to jam in some kissing. It was, it, there was, there was a point to it. It seemed like a really good reason for Claire to go back to the ship. So otherwise, I don't know why she would have gone back other than morbid curiosity. She would have only gone back, I think. That's the that's the only reason that she would. And in that case, I think it was 
um, responsibility as much as anything. I mean, obviously she cares about all of them, but it was really about, I screwed up and I think I got them killed. And if there's a chance that I didn't or a chance that I can still, you know, rectify this situation, I, I have to take it. I have to try. Yeah. So it seemed like a really good fit and very subtle and not overpowering. So it was really nice in the horror aspect to kind of keep it going. <laughs> Thank you. I Well, I was thinking of Alien specifically when I was doing that because I thought, you know, so so many times in horror, it's used, like any kind of love interest, however slight, is used as a, um, I'm going to let you care about this person, then I'm going to kill them in some horribly brutal way, and, you know, I'm, eh. I mean, yeah, okay, but I don't know. I also liked, um, what the heck was it called? Happy Death Day. And oh, yeah. There's a romance in that, which I, you know, I liked, so... I don't know. <laughs> I like it. So all the naysayers can go away. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. I'm going to send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll ignore them too. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you like other horror books. Um, what would you recommend for people who want to read more like this? I'm not sure if this is considered... Wallace has written a book called um, Dead Space, actually, which was the original title for this book. Um, and I loved it. I, I don't know where that falls in terms of the horror slash sci-fi thriller line. But if you liked if you liked Dead Silence, you will you will like this. Um, you'll like Callie Wallace's um, Dead Space. And she also has one called Salvation Day, which was excellent. Um, there is a novella called The Scourge Between Stars coming out from Nightfire. I don't know when, and I'm really sorry. But I read it, and it was really, really good. And I think that that's another thing you guys should all check out. Um, and this one isn't this one isn't sci-fi exactly. It kind of is. is um, I think it's The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. I always get confused as Hollow Place or Hollow Places. I get that... Uh, to me, it is sci-fi because it's kind of got a multiverse sort of aspect to it. But I don't. I, well, there could be an argument either way, I suppose. And I just loved it because you know what? It was funny. It was <laughs> funny and it was scary and it was delightful. And I feel like there needs to be more of that. And hopefully, the little traces of humor in Dead Silence come across. And you will, if you liked that, you would obviously love the Hollow Places. What are you working on next, if anything? I have um, another sci-fi horror idea that I'm working on that I'm having fun with. I also have another, um, actually I have two sci-fi horror ideas that I'm kind of playing around with. One is farther along than the other. And then I have, um, I call it straight up horror. It's just, it's just horror. And it's about middle school girls and how vicious and awful we are to each other at that age. Right? Terrifying <gasps> completely without any supernatural aspects. <laughs> And basically, it is about this trio of girls, friends and not friends at the same time. You know how that goes. And um, the decisions that they make at that age and how they can kind of haunt them both literally and figuratively into adulthood when they're... So the story is when they're adults and kind of reaping the consequences still of this thing that they did. And, you know, now it's like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> so. I could get behind that. That's a little, like... Yeah, it's got a it's got a tiny bit of yellow jackets, a little bit of that in there if you liked that, and I freaking loved that. Um, so yeah, and I I think that one to me so relatable because I feel like there's not, in my opinion, there's not enough about female friendships and the 
especially at that age and and the toxicity as well as the wonderfulness that comes with it so yeah <laughs> I think the only um kind of female friendships that express toxicity that I see anywhere is in Japanese television okay. and boy does it go overboard <laughs> oh, really yeah, so it's like, I will cut you. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, I'm pretty sure we just called each other names. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. You think, though, the other book that I loved that was about female friendship that I thought was fantastic, and I'm, it's called The Return. It's horror, and it's Rachel Harris or Harrison. I'm blanking on it right now. I can't, the cover's pink, um, and it's so good. That's That's one where you're like, oh, this is one of those missing woman thrillers, which by the way, I love, but it, you know, but I'm thinking it's, you know, oh, it's going to be this. And it's so not, you're like, oh, wait, what? The hallway is filled with the smell of rotting meat? What is happening? Ugh. Ugh. Definitely horror. It is 100% horror and it is, it is fabulous. I'm going to have to go find it now. I, <laughs> please check it. I can't, I honestly can't remember if it's Harris or Harrison. I, I, sorry, I can't remember, but it's called The Return. I know that. Okay. Well, thank you, Stacy, for being here. Thank you for having me. This was a blast, and I hope I did not talk your ear off. No, it's the perfect amount of talking. <laughs> Good. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't gotten Dead Silence yet, I would go to your local bookstore or online and pick it up. It is fantastic. Um, and always, thank you for watching and listening to Upper Pen. Have a great day.